Hello and welcome to the All Terrain Podcast. Now this is a bit weird because normally I have to do a whole intro, but actually this time round, it's sort of a continuation of where we were before. I am joined once again by Alexander John Shire. Hello Matt, hello listeners. It's uh, it's lovely to have you back. Now we, we did the first episode and there was just so much. So I mean, even the introduction was a whole episode really, but we just wanted to come back and do even more. So we're going to keep going. A huge thank you for staying with us and uh, let's carry on. So moving on to question two, how do you move through suffering? And how does that relate to the Gospel of Mark? Okay, so Mark, we believe is, and when I say we, I'm, I'm talking the, the main body of Scripture mm-hmm. scholars, uh, believe that Mark was composed in the city of Rome, mm-hmm. uh, either late 64 or early year 65, first century. And what's happened in July of that year is that Nero has blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome, mm-hmm. you know, that Rome burned uh, for seven days and seven nights. The, the Roman Senate was turning against Nero, and mm. actually there were some members of the Senate who were accusing Nero of starting the fire. Mm. And so he needed a scapegoat. And his scapegoat became the usual scapegoat of Rome, which was the Jewish people, except mm-hmm. someone convinced him that it was not the entirety of the Jewish people, but it was the Jewish people who believed in the Messiah. Mm. And this Messiah had come to overtake the Roman emperor. And so it was very easy for Nero to say, we're going to we're going to bring the full bore of the empire down on these people. We're going to execute them horribly. Mm. We're going to make a sign out of them mm. that you cannot stand against the emperor. And so, the executions begin now. Uh, his soldiers are going through door to door neighborhoods. Do you believe in the Christus, the Christ? If you say yes, you and your entire household will be immediately arrested taken to the Circus Maximus because the Colosseum is not yet built and you're going to be executed by being thrown to starving dogs. Mm-hmm. If you say no, then you now have to name somebody who is, you believe, a Christian and they're going to be executed without the chance to say yes or no. So you've got a mini Holocaust going on in the city of Rome in this 64, early 65 time. And, and it's it's so hurtful because mm. it's happening within the neighborhood, uh, within the Jewish yeah. neighborhood, where people know each other, where people are related to each other, where um, and, and people are turning on each other to save their own family. Historically then, if someone had said, yes, I'm going to name them, that's enough. They don't get a knock and get asked. They just... Right. And so you can feel the paranoia and, I mean, the rightful paranoia. Because you are consistently worried that either the knock will come to your door or that someone will cause your door to be knocked. Right. At the beginning of this mini Holocaust or genocide, Peter is killed and Paul is killed Mm -hmm. um, because they are already identified leaders of the Christian community. Mm -hmm. So we now have the Christians left that are literally huddled in their homes waiting for the knock on the door. And this incredible text of Mark, which we know was certainly originally an oral account that was passed orally through the, through the Christian community, really became the prayer. And the way I describe this prayer is that this is the prayer of how I walk through the valley of death by the power of the resurrection. Mm. And so we can see in this text the strength of Jesus the Christ with us, mm through our moments of great suffering. And so this incredible power of prayer that we have in the Gospel of Mark so deeply rooted the Christians 
that we, the, the small historical evidence we have is that they went to the Circus Maximus mm. and they didn't give the Romans what the Romans came to see. The Romans came to see the Christians writhe and scream mm. and beg uh, for this not to happen. And the accounts talk about their nobility in the face of death. So where else in Mark does that kind of come to life for you? Well, so one of the things that we have missed, water in Mark is the element of death. And we miss this because we haven't talked well enough with our Jewish brothers and sisters. Mm. The Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River is a, is a river of annihilation. Jews don't want to touch that water because it's death water, because it's cemetery water. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is a Jewish cemetery because so many Jews have gone out on that sea to fish and the storms come up and they drown. Mm. Um, and so this element of water as death in Mark, and we get a very different element of water in John. Mm. But what I love is in the eighth chapter of Mark, Jesus the Christ walks the disciples up to what we hear is the region of Caesarea Philippi. And that region means something because what happens in that region is the snow in the mountains of Lebanon, my homeland, have melted and that the water has gone down in the earth and it comes and it wells up in this region of Caesarea Philippi and there's water that's bubbling up out of the ground and that water flows down and forms the Sea of Galilee and then the Jordan River and empties into the Dead Sea and that whole line of water is a line of chaos. Jews are phobic about this bubbling water coming up out of the earth. Where the hell is it coming from? Mm. Is it coming, literally, is it coming from hell? Mm. Is it coming from Sheol? Mm. Why does water bubble and move? Jews only prayed for still water. They didn't like moving water. Mm. Moving water for them was the place of the demonic. Mm. And so in the Gospel of Mark, in this, 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 this text about how we move through suffering, Jesus the Christ walks the disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, the region where the seed water of chaos bubbles up out of the earth. And he says, okay, come stand here in the place of your deepest wound, your greatest chaos, mm. your, your most visceral hurt. Mm. Stand here and tell me who I am. And they begin, you know, you're John the Baptist, come back, you're this prophet, you're that prophet, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally, Peter says, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, and yet you're right. And now we go to Jerusalem mm. where I'm going to be put on trial and I'm going to be crucified. Mm. And Peter goes, oh, no, 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 no. You can't say that. I'll never let that happen. Right. And, and Jesus the Christ is teaching us that there is a... a, a not all suffering is of God, but there is a certain type of suffering which is of God that God cannot turn against. It is part of who God is. That Jesus is now going to teach the disciples about the mystery of suffering where he, Jesus suffers, but Jesus doesn't do what we do. Jesus doesn't suffer over his suffering. He just suffers. You're saying suffering is part of God. I'm, I'm saying that, that God has put God's very self into our life. And the pattern of our life with God is life, death, life, mm. which means that, that there's an element of, of, of death, of suffering, which is part of the nature of God because that's how the regeneration in us happens. Mm. 
And you got to be very careful about this because I'm not suggesting suicide. I'm not suggesting that people go out in fine ways to suffer. Mm-hmm. We've all got enough suffering in the heart of our life. We don't yes. need one more ounce yeah. of it. But, there, but Jesus in the Gospel of Mark teaches us about the rightful way to suffer and, and to suffer with as God suffers with us. And God suffers with us not because God is, is playing us like a marionette mm. with strings, but because there is a suffering that's part of the nature of God, which is for our, our greater life and vitality. I think that will come as a surprise, shock. I mean, what sort of reactions do you get? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's like, why is there winter? Yeah. Why, why, why does a seed yeah. have to go into the ground yeah. and die? Yeah. Um, but that is such a, an interesting way of looking at it. Because I guess for most people, if we're really honest, the vision of God we have is God is with us, God is with us, God is with us, and then he holds our hands through the hard times. You're taking that a big step further in that you're saying that suffering is part of who God is. I am, and, I mean, and there's that incredible story in Mark, uh, the fourth chapter, where Jesus puts the disciples in the boat at night mm. out into the Sea of Chaos, which is a much better word than Galilee. Mm. He sends the disciples at night out, on, out, into that, out into that sea. Every fisherman in that day would have known that this is idiocy. Mm. No one goes out on that dangerous sea at nighttime when you can't see the storms come up. But Jesus puts us into the storm, directs us into the storm, and then when the storm happens, Jesus is like, where's your faith? I'm mm-hmm. here. I, I am here to take you through the storm. Mm-hmm. I am not here to play the miracle worker who's going to take the storm away until it's done its work in you. You say in the book, every time we attempt to avoid a situation, we only reduce our opportunity to grow, to learn from the journey. Like the immature disciples looking for a God who merely provides we are, in fact, asking that God become smaller. See, I, I, I hurt reading those words. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't say those words lightly or, or, or in any way with fun. That's important, uh, I think, because actually I think sometimes when people listen, perhaps, or read, they don't grasp that. This is not an intellectual exercise for you. I'm not sitting with some smug guy kind of telling me all this stuff that he wants to blow my mind. That's not this experience. There's a difficulty in you sharing this, I feel, that you carry. There have been a lot of trials in my life, and I don't know that I've moved through them with all the grace that I could have. Um, but I, under, I understand what it takes uh, to make this journey. And there's nothing in my small self that wants to do it. But I also know there's a greater power uh, by which I can live. Hmm. So for you... How do you move through suffering? Yeah. There are many meditation practices, whether it's quiet sitting or, or whether it's sitting with my hands moving and, and creating something, mm-hmm. which bring me to a place of stillness in the midst of the suffering where I know that I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to get on the other side of suffering until God does it. That um, for me, it is finding the, the grace and if I can even use the word equanimity mm-hmm. uh, to sit in it, to let it do its work in me. One, one of the best homilies, sermons I ever heard was 
three sentences by this Episcopal priest who said, God, we pray that you do not take this pain away until it's done its work in me. Mm. Something like that. Mm. Um, Praying especially the Gospel of Mark, asking for the grace that I see in the Gospel of Mark, Mm. knowing that there is something of this deep grief which is of God, and that if I try to get out of it by my own willpower, I will have removed some goldness that God wishes for my life. Hmm. You know, there, there have been many, many, many pains in my life. There have been many friends and family. There have been many people in my church that have walked away uh, but because of the work that I'm about. Uh, so uh, this mark is not some exercise out there. I, I know this pain. Hmm. I know that that the, the whoever the gospel composers were, that this came through them more hmm. than it came from them. This is their working out, not their worked out. And I guess for you, that's the same in the book. Because I guess it would be really easy to sit here with this book and to read these quotes and go, so obviously you're a master at it, but that's not... Mm-hmm. Um, this book teaches me mm. uh, at the end of the chapter you quote is it uh, Vaclav Havel hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out yeah. understanding meaning um, the meaning is a, is a garden with many many different emotions in it um, meaning is not tying everything up with a pretty ribbon. But for me, everything that's happened in my life to get to this point, to be able to be able to go out and offer people this message, I, I see the meaning of, of many, 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 many um, painful and chaotic times. Mm. I think that would probably speak to some people right now. Thank you. So you still have some choices to make. (laughs) In my industry, we call this a corner turn. Uh, Because what we have to do next uh, is we have to choose what's on the playlist. So just in case along the way, my conversation gets boring or, you know, you decide you need a bit of time just with the headphones in, what would you be listening to? Well, it's interesting because when I'm on the Camino, I I actually leave all technology aside, at least while I'm walking. And I really, really... Uh, try to be in the moment okay however um what's on my playlist are a lot of the inspiring pieces i particularly love listening to the irish operetta the pilgrim okay and uh sean davies setting of uh, the deer's cry which just if i could start every day of my life with that Mm. i'd be quite happy um and then from my home tradition in the states uh the work of uh carlos nakai the native american flautist um, who just the, he does something with that instrument that just holds my heart mm. um, and I listen to a lot of, of uh, Hindu chant uh, I listen I listen to a lot of things which are in a language I don't know because I want to feel the music rather than think yeah, about the words I was about to say a lot of what you're talking about points towards either instrumental or now things that you don't yeah, that's really interesting. So stuff that maybe necessarily can't speak to you through the words that it is, but instead almost washes over you, I guess. Right, right. 
That's really fascinating. You said about when you're on the Camino, you often leave technology to one side and, and try and be present. That's really hard, I think, in... I'm sounding like my granddad at this day and age. That's really difficult, isn't it? Because we were also connected. And it's not even just things like um, like using the phone. To, it's it's the fact that it's also the camera. In the old days, our camera was a separate entity. These right. days, our camera can also ping at us and tell us what people are asking us. Or right. So that, that disconnection, that's quite a deliberate thing for you. It is. And, and also for the pilgrims that I lead. And, and we just have a general guideline that uh, when we step out in the morning, we put our, our phones on airplane mode. Okay. Uh, yeah, use it as a camera, but yeah, don't have any sort of communication because every time the phone dings, uh, we lose the present moment. Yeah, we we're do. not we're not on the Camino anymore. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, church recently. I I was sitting behind our youth group, and um, I noticed before the sermon started, they passed around a box and. Um, they all put their phones in and in exchange for the phone, they got some amazing snacks. So I've now joined them. I'm sitting with yeah, them yeah. having the snacks. Um, but I, I spoke to the youth pastor afterwards. And I said, oh, that sounds like a really good idea. And and, and she said it was their idea. Hmm. They hmm. they wanted to be more present and less distracted. And so hmm. they went, we want to put we want to put these away. I think that's a really interesting, intentional decision to make, isn't it? That yeah. kind of, yeah. And really helpful. Okay, so moving on. Question three, uh, how do we receive joy and how does that to relate to the Gospel of John? But before you answer that, I need to ask you, why Matthew, Mark, John, Luke? Why that order? This is the great story in that sequence. Hmm. Now, the question really is, how did we get Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in yeah. the Bible? And that answer is because uh, in the fourth century, liturgical books were organized and liturgical is a fancy word to say that the early Christians uh, across the Mediterranean world organized the reading of the four Gospels into a three-year sequence to be read at church on Sunday. And they all agreed on the sequence, although they didn't at that point agree on what passage from the text would be read on each, on each Sunday. Mm. The sequence was... Uh, year one, you read Matthew. Year two, you read Mark. Year three, you read Luke. And every Lent Easter, which is about 100 days in the church life, you read John. And then you read John on other great feasts throughout the year. So that, in essence, over three years of Sunday, you will hear all the entirety of all four Gospels. But... Um, from the second century forward, John was always the text for Lent Easter. And Lent Easter at that point, we need to forget these fancy words. Lent Easter was the community retreat and the community festival of oneness. And the community retreat was looking at what in our lives takes us away from oneness. Mm. And the festival was about the celebration that because we have reflected deeply on the hurts of oneness, that spirit has moved us now to be able to take another step towards oneness. Mm. In my view, they rightfully discerned that it is the Gospel of John, which has this um, practice about oneness. And the word that I use for oneness is joy, mm. because when we truly come into a place of deeper union with mm. self and other, the emotion usually there is joy. Mm. 
But uh, because the, they had already, by the fourth century, it was already a 200-year practice to use John for the community retreat and festival, they discerned that they didn't want to make John something that you only read once every four years, mm. but they wanted to put John in the middle of reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mm. And a thousand years later, when the Bible is, is, is brought together and they've got the Gutenberg printing press, etc., they took the liturgical lectionary cycle from the fourth century and put it in the Bible. And, and basically, the lectionary cycle was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the gospel to be read with the, uh, with the other three. Mm, yeah. And for that reason, they didn't want to put John in the middle of the three. Yeah. That's really interesting. So... You talked about joy being oneness. You used the word joy for oneness. And that's important, I think, because I think when we talk about joy, often we think about something else. You, you talk about this more holistic sense of it being oneness. What does that yes. mean for you? First of all, uh, let's understand, at least through, through my work, here's what I understand. Mm. Easter in the early church was the celebration of the power of the Christ in our lives, which helps us make another step in understanding diversity as oneness. Mm that what they understood by the resurrection is, is that there is this reality that brings us out of our individual tombs over and over and over again to a greater sense of union with mm -hmm. others and union with God. The emotive experience in that union usually is joy. But the text of John was composed for the community, we believe, in Ephesus, late first century. And this is the community that most looks like us today. It's quite diverse. Mm -hmm. Tribes all the way to India are represented in Ephesus because it's the eastern capital of the Roman Empire. The Roman courts sit there. So it's, it, it's, a, it's a city with a teeming cultural diversity. Mm -hmm. It's also a city of great affluence, which uh, we now can understand the city's is, is affluence is built upon, it's the center of the Roman slave market. Mm -hmm. And that was hugely profitable. Mm. And it's the center of a huge women's community. Women in Ephesus are quite powerful in a way that is not seen in a lot of rest of the Mediterranean. In this cultural milieu of the 40s, first century, comes the preaching of Paul, that all are one before God, mm. that all are brothers and sisters from the same source. Um, this is amazing I mean, I don't think that we as Christians appreciate the huge step forward in, in, in humanity mm. when this teaching comes. Mm. Because up to this point, whether we're Buddhist or indigenous, whether we're Hindu or, 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 or um, even in our Jewishness, we largely are wanting to stay with our own tribe. Mm. We don't have this idea that people from differing families and differing tribes and differing bloodlines and differing uh, hierarchies, that wealthy can sit with poor, that free can sit with slave, etc. It is a new, the preaching in Ephesus is about a new way mm. of the human family before God. Mm. And Ephesus becomes the place that we first experiment with being this new form of a community. Mm. 50 years later, all of that beatific vision of oneness has dimmed. Yeah. The patriarchy has reasserted itself. The greed, the jealousies, all the, the inner tribal conflicts. 
John's task is to bring the community back to the vision mm. and give them a practical way for it to live. Mm. And he does that by opening his text with the, with the prologue and, and the beautiful first uh, three chapters, which talk about the diadem that is set in the heart of each human person mm. and the incredible beauty and radiance when those diadems are brought together in a community. Yeah. But then he starts with the story of Jesus and Nicodemus mm. uh, to begin to give us the material that takes us away from oneness, that takes us back to um, all the conflicts that, we've, that, we've, that we came to Christianity thinking to get away from. Yeah. And he shows us that every time we think, every time we go take a step forward in oneness, there is something in us that is, the word I use is regressive, there is something in us that wants to pull us back. Yes. And that we're never going to be without both the impetus to oneness yes. and that which wants to take us back from it. And you talk about a lot this idea of um, dualism versus unity. So the idea of dualism, and I'll, I'll use your words because I, I love the way you describe it. Dualism tells us that things or people are either one thing or another with no degrees of difference or nuance. It celebrates or denigrates extremes of behavior, such as asceticism uh, on the one hand or material success on the other. Acting from these rigid and unrealistic attitudes limits our humanity. Yes. Unity wants to unite us. Dualism wants to divide us. Right. And, and, and unity is a diversity. It's not a uniformity. Yes. And this is yes. so, oh, so important because yeah. too many of our traditions want uniformity and call it oneness. And it's yes. not. It's like when we take people away from their authenticity, yeah. we can't have oneness. Oneness is built upon our, our, our mutual diversity. Yes. You say dualism accepts no middle ground. Yes. Because yeah. it, it's either black, white, this, right. that, right, right wrong. There is no room for but. There's right. no room for what if. There's no right. room for, for any of that. The call of John is to bring us back to a sense of oneness, unity, with diversity. To bring us back and to call us forward. Yes, because whenever, whenever it says that you know, there's no Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave, it, it's not about saying those things don't exist. It's not calling for an abolition of identity. No. No. It's calling for a sense of that oneness brings us together in spite of. And that's what, for you, that's where joy is then. Right. And I mean, and joy is seeing each person in the community in their own radiant brilliance. Yes. But then there's a second piece, which we are just now beginning to reach for, and it is how we take the individual radiance and put it in service of the communion. There's this tension and there's mm. this balance about how a communion can increase our individual radiance. Yes. But also there is a way that some there are places where we need to bow to the communion so that the radiance of all can live. And it's uh, we we've gotten better at the individual radiance and we're not yet there in our spiritual practices about how to have a communion that is built upon an individual radiance but also teaches us how to bow to the communion at certain moments. Well, Interesting, I just scrolled past a quote that I thought I wasn't going to get to share with you, but, but I, want, I get to now, which is great, because this one really struck me in my own life. It does not take much reflection to observe that the world is full of people who reached a point of epiphany 
and immediately rushed out to share the supposed wisdom and created only havoc instead. Wisdom is a much longer journey. New revelations need space and careful sheltering. And the reason this, I think this really spoke to me was I made a rule uh, a year or two ago, which was I wouldn't preach on any new discovery until six months after I discovered mm. it. Because too often mm. in myself, I would read a book or I'd find a new thing or I'd listen to something and it would be like a clock had started so I could be the first person to say it in my group. So my, my dear friend, Matt Leader, who many people who are listening to this will know is a, a fabulous worship leader and leader. He's a, just a, a great friend. We used to run a house church together. And I remember sitting in our living room together with myself and Christina, my wife, and, and Shell and Matt. And we were talking about what we were going to do next as our season of teaching and thinking in this house church. And I said, well, I've just read this amazing book by such and such, and I think we should... And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, I don't think our community can be led by whatever book you're reading this month. And he, to this day, sometimes goes, I'm so sorry, that seems so harsh. But the truth is that that went so deep into my soul that I still walk in that wisdom now. Well, and, and I, I want everyone to know that it's like I have gone against this rule so many times until I think I have <laughs> begun to learn it. But but when this whole new way of, of understanding, well, actually, it's not new, but this whole restored way of understanding the gospel uh, came in the year 2000. Mm. I mean, I immediately went out and wanted to share this with everybody. Yeah, and course, and yeah. basically what was happening was I was so anxious about whether this was really true. I needed other people's affirmation to make it true for me. That's never uh, a, a sound principle to build anything on. No. And I've, I've, I've now learned, I hope, please, I hope, um, that this message, it will convict or not convict people as, as they need to hear it. And not everybody needs to hear this. You're right. We cannot be on the journey unless we are able to receive. Mm-hmm. We must be able to participate in both sides of the relationship, giving and receiving. This is not easy since we are so often raised to believe that thinking of ourselves is selfish and negative. See. Wow. You've got one more choice before we discuss the last question. What's in the snack bag? Oh, this is an easy one. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Dark chocolate. Okay. The darker, the better. It's oh, got to okay. be. It's got to be eighty percent. Oh, really? Yes. I mean, that's no longer chocolate. To oh me. No, that's no, like no, 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 no. Dark chocolate and a pear. Oh, and uh, sparkling water. Intre- now that is, I'm going to say that's the most sophisticated <laughs> snack bag we've had. I have to say, when we started, a few people came along with like blueberries, and I was like, guys, come on, like, you know, I want, you know, like, I want a Mars bar. Dark chocolate, a pair, and some sparkling water. Yeah, that's, absolutely, that's that's almost a dessert. The sparkling the water end. because I, I need the salt and the mineral as I walk, and I yeah. discovered that it, it holds me much better than just water. Oh, interesting. And and the pear is just enough uh, sugar, and the dark chocolate is just enough fat. And if you get the chance along the way, you can make a lovely tart. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and also might throw, throw in a handful of almonds. Oh, everyone throws the almonds yeah, in. I know. It's like, I know we're just going to, I mean, if I don't get this next series sponsored by an almond company, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Okay, here we go. It's the final one of the four that we ask everyone. How do we mature in service? And how does that relate to the Gospel of Luke? So, whereas Matthew, Mark, and John were written to particular communities at a particular moment in time, Luke was written, we believe, from the city of Antioch on the Orontes 
but it was like it was like a book of Paul. It was a, a work that was to be carried around to all the emerging Christian communities throughout the Mediterranean, mm. because they were all facing the same moment together. So we think that this is coming from the 80s, first century, and what's happened is is that after the fall of the temple and the massacre of the priests, uh, Judaism began to to fracture, mm. and uh, that the powers that be. Uh, were very unhappy with any idea uh, amongst the Jewish family that uh, the Messiah had already come. And so we Christians at this point were literally forced out of the synagogue. Mm. Except that this is not just a go down the street and have your own community. This is that old, terrible Mediterranean curse that I know in my Lebanese family as well. And it is, if I disagree with you, I emotionally and ritually kill you. Mm. So husband and, and wife, daughter and son, uh, if one of us became Christian, that was the end of the relationship. The family would have a funeral service for us, mm. and we would never be spoken to or seen again. We were considered dead. There would be a marker in the Jewish cemetery for us. And we're not, we're not talking about a kind of a symbolic type thing. They would have sat Shiva. They would have done the mark in the, in the kind of cemetery. Absolutely. It was... It wasn't a kind of a, they're dead to me, and then you go away and don't talk to them again. It's actual, they are dead to you. Right. And I mean, I saw this in Birmingham, Alabama in the 1960s in the Lebanese community where two uh, girls uh, wanted to marry Italian uh, boys. The family disagreed with that. And when they went ahead and got married, the family uh, cut them off, had a funeral service for them, put a marker in the cemetery, etc. So this is... the. Luke is starting out because we're all, all the Christian communities, mm. we're coming out of Judaism. This is hurtful on both sides, deeply hurtful on both sides. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible moment. And there's a second terrible moment, which is now that we are no longer considered part of the Jewish household, the emperor looks out and he sees us now as a new religious tradition. Mm. And he's concerned not about the name of our God. He's concerned about what we're doing and what we're teaching. Mm. We're teaching that all people are one before God. The emperor doesn't want this idea to get Mm. started because the emperor quite likes his empire being divided up and fighting each other. He Mm -hmm. likes the infighting because it keeps his army at peace. If we keep the empire destabilized, his army has less to control. Mm -hmm. the emperor doesn't like that we're teaching that women uh, have value. I, I can't say that at this moment in Christianity we're seeing equality with women, mm. but we definitely have greatly raised the status of women. Mm. That's not something the emperor wants. The, we also were talking about that slaves are humans with souls, whereas the empire treats slaves as animals and soulless. Mm. So that's not something the emperor wants. And Finally, we're also not only just teaching, but we're enacting that if you have wealth, you have an obligation to share that with people who don't. So because of who we are and what we're doing, we become an enemy to the emperor because he rightfully understands that if our values take off, his empire will be threatened. Hmm. So in this moment uh, where we are few and seemingly powerless. We don't have access to money and governmental leverages, etc. 
the emperor decides the easiest way to deal with us is just exterminate us, just execute us and, and be done with this crazy new idea. Mm. So all the Christian communities now are facing the wound that our mother tradition has said, you're no longer part of us. Mm. And that the emperor has said, you're an enemy of the, you're an enemy of the empire and I now will execute you. And Luke becomes that incredible text within Christendom, which is a text of nonviolent resistance. Mm. How will we, who are people of a new and wider revelation, go out and share it in the face of government mm. and cultural disapproval? Mm -hmm. And Luke says, we, we won't fight them with our fists. We will speak truth to power. Mm. But that's the easy part. We're going to speak truth to power in love. Mm. We're going to speak truth to power in a way that we never demonize those who oppose us. Yeah. We're going to understand their value as a human being, no matter how much they may be physically or emotionally or spiritually trying to hurt us. Yes. And this is, this is like a whole new level of uh, trying to change a culture because what Luke says is, we're, we're going to transform this empire, mm. but we're going to do it the hard way. We're mm -hmm. going to do it one heart, one heart, one heart, one heart, one heart, one heart. And well, there, there are two things I, I want to say because I think they're so uh, pertinent to this, mm. to this cultural moment that we're living in. Uh, Luke is the text that gives us the historical days of Jesus' birth, but he doesn't give them to us about history. He wants us to understand that when he says, who's the emperor, Caesar Augustus, who's the governor, and who's the priest in the temple, this is a wall of shame. Hmm. The, the, the empire, the governor, and the priest in the temple at this moment in time are all out for themselves. Nobody is there for the people. Hmm. Nobody could expect a turnaround. Hmm. Uh, how can we, the few, face and change the powerful. Mm. And so the next piece is that Luke gives us this beautiful prayer of Mary, which I think is oh, one of the yeah. most remarkable prayers because it does something that is spiritually and psychologically sophisticated. Mm. Mary prays the future mm. as already having happened. So at a moment when the Jewish people are being starved to, uh, to raise money uh, to gild the temple. Uh, the, the Romans have left them with almost no food to put on the table for their children. Uh, They're hugely oppressed. They don't have education. They don't have health care. In, in that moment, Mary says, and God has already brought down the mighty from their thrones. Mm -hmm. And why that is the centerpiece of this gospel about service is because... When you're, on, in, when you're on service, you've got to have two things. You've got to know that ultimately it's God's work. Mm. And that because it's God's work, everything is already provided. And secondly, you've got to do your small part today. But you've got to do it by forgetting how big the mountain is that you face. Because if, you, if you're looking at the road... If you're looking down the road, if you're asking when the turnaround is going to happen, if you want to know the date on the calendar and, w and what it's going to look like, mm -hmm. you're going to get cynical. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. You're going to get bitter. Mm. You're going to get dejected. Because uh, that work is God's work. I can't see how the small seeds that I'm obligated to offer are going to be used to create something far beyond me. Mm. And that's Mary. Mary knows what her work to do is. And um, each of us are asked today facing climate crisis, facing economic turmoil, facing political chaos, Mm -hmm. et cetera, and and all the the things that we face in our families to know, I can't resolve this, Mm -hmm. but there is one or two actions that God is asking you to do today. It's why understanding that mustard seeds grow into weeds rather than trees really helps me. See, Understanding that actually mustard weeds were essentially usually unwanted and most of which you couldn't see because it was all going underneath and they grew like this weedy bush rather than that really helps me in that because I play my small part. But what happens is a, an outward that I've just played a small part in. Absolutely. There's, there's two things about this chapter that um, I found really helpful and I think... Uh, can really help unlock some stuff maybe for those listening as well. One is there's this lovely moment when you talk about how uh, Luke sometimes oversteps in the way he talks about Pharisees and other uh, Jewish leaders. And you you write this thing where it says, uh, when the resulting strident tones, such as a curse or berating text, arrive from Matthew, they sit in odd contradiction to sublime teachings about openness and generosity. These inconsistencies, like those in John's gospel, serve as examples human struggles in the midst of deep inspiration absolutely i love that well these texts are so true not because they're perfect because who of us is perfect they're so true because they're us yes and they show us what we're dealing with and they also show us a way through peter and says god lets his children tell his story absolutely like i love right that's and then you go on because i think this was this was really helpful You say, even though most of us don't find ourselves in small gossipy towns, when our lives genuinely change, we will also need to be prepared for opposition that comes from without. Often the fiercest criticisms will be heard from our closest family and friends. Be neither surprised by this nor resentful. And then you say this, which I just, man, I wish I'd read this when I was 17. Every change we make asks them to make adjustment also. Life asks them to alter their picture of us in many ways, their expectations and their ways of relating to us. This is difficult for them. Be compassionate. The best recommendation is to meet our own and others' resistance with a reflective, even playful curiosity, holding our attitudes as lightly and forcibly as we can. Probably one of the jewels of the book. It's, it's one of the jewels that I continue to learn. And it's one of the things... As I've just said goodbye to to this year's pilgrims, Hmm. um, they're going to go home. Nobody's going to understand what they've just gone through. Nobody, nobody, unless you have been on the Camino, you're not going to know what that experience is. You're not going to know how it can change you. Be compassionate. Hmm. And don't tell your story. Listen to theirs. (laughs) We are all on a journey in our own way, in our own time. Hmm. It's not my gift or responsibility to try to wake somebody else up that's god's work yeah so i I often end and um by words from martin luther king jr that i heard as a boy in alabama soon after my own grandmother's house had been burnt down 
And he said, uh, send your hooded perpetrators, remember the KKK or wear hoods, send your hooded perpetrators into our neighborhoods at the midnight hour. Break our bones, beat our children, burn our homes, and we will not hate you. We cannot in good conscience obey unjust laws, and we will win our freedom. We will. But we will so appeal to your heart and to your conscience by our ability to suffer that when we win our freedom, the victory will be twofold, for we will have won yours as well. Alexander, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the book. Thank you for listening, for hearing that clear, clearly inspired understanding of the Gospels. Thank you for writing it down and sharing it with the world. Thank you for coming here today. Thank you for, in the midst of a crazy travel schedule, giving us so much time um, this afternoon. The questions are transforming me. They are transforming people we ask. They're transforming those who listen and they are spreading so far and wide it is just a huge pleasure to have um, had some time to sit with you so thank you from uh, the very bottom of our hearts for coming and joining us today and equally my thanks uh, your listeners can't see the tears in my eyes right now but thank you thank you to the salvation army thank you for what the salvation army is doing uh, around the world and thank you for these hours I'll be back next time with another guest who'll be facing the four choices, answering the four questions and sharing the wisdom learned along the way on the All Terrain podcast. 